Hey, Wellspring, want to welcome you to Sunday service this morning. Hey, just because this online thing, we're still getting used to it, want to give us a couple of best practices. One, let's take our cell phones and turn them off. Two, let's have this be the only web browser on our computer this morning. And three, I want to invite you, grab a Bible, grab a piece of paper. We are expecting God to speak. We are expecting God to do cool stuff that you might need to even write down. As we start, I just invite you to find a comfy place to sit, put your feet flat on the floor as I read uh, from the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
Hey, good morning, Wellspring. Aaron here. Just wanted to take a few moments to talk about some of the things that are happening here at church during this season. The first is Tuesday is 8 a.m. We wanted to start just a simple prayer gathering, whether we can gather via Zoom, there's that option there, or if you can't gather via Zoom, just join with us in prayer. Tuesdays, 8 to 8.30. Also, Wednesday, 7 o'clock, we've been going through this class. What does it look like to trust Jesus in the midst of chaos? So if you'd want to join us for that, please, more information down below. Sign up. We'd love to see you there. And then finally, Thursdays, 12 noon each week. Again, another space to connect, uh, be together virtually. This week in particular, we're going to be looking at what does it look like to be, how to handle stress and anxiety in this season. So with that said, if there are any sort of prayer requests or needs that you have, please let us know. We want to be a people that help each other out in this season. We'd love to hear from you and help in any way. And then finally, during the season, if you can, if you can support with your generosity and your financial giving, we'd love that. You can mail a check or give online. Uh, but with that said, we want to just transition in a time now as we look at what does it look like to be a people uh, who love uh, in the midst of fear. everyone. I want to welcome you to Wellspring. Hopefully you're doing well. It's good to have you. My name is Tony. I am uh, on staff here and have the privilege of being on staff here at Wellspring. Uh, I want to just say if you got kiddos in the room and you would like to give them something to do, we actually have a resource in the link below. Feel free to use it or not. Totally up to you. As we start this morning, I just want to take a second just to recognize a lot has changed. Right? For so many of us, maybe last week uh, your kids weren't homeschooled and now they are. Maybe you were working in a building and now you're not. Maybe even if you're retired, you know, you're like trapped in your house wondering what to do. Or maybe as this season comes to a head, you know, you're like trying to figure out how do I use all this technology in order to connect with people? You're wanting to connect with grandkids or friends and you're overwhelmed by all this tech and how do we use it? The truth is we've lost a lot of control over the last few weeks. This is true for us at Wellspring, but true for us in society as well. And over the last few weeks, we've looked at what does it look like to be a people of hope in the unpredictability? We've looked at what does it look like to be a people of peace in the anxiety? And this week, we want to look at what does it look like to be a people of love in a season, in a time of fear? What does it look like for us to love our neighbor? I read an article this last week about this guy on a flight going from New York down to Florida. He hopped on the flight about midway through. He knew that he had gotten a coronavirus test, but he didn't tell any of the flight crew, didn't tell anyone. It was actually midway on this flight to Florida that he finds out he has a positive result for COVID-19. So then he tries to tell the stewardesses and everyone, and you can imagine how that went. I think we can all agree, right? Not very loving. JetBlue agreed. They banned him for life. I read an art another article, talked about this, this idea of a fear contagion, right? Coronavirus is contagious, but so is fear. They talked about how, in this article, how people look at shelves that are emptying and they start to feel the fear of not being able to have enough. So what do they do? They rush to the store. And I think many of us relate to this. I certainly do. It's that moment where you realize, am I going to have enough? I need to protect my own. Right? And this is why people are hoarding and stockpiling stuff. Hand sanitizer, toilet paper, a whole list of things. 
But it's also clear in that moment that we're not just uh, thinking about our own, we're also losing sight of those who are vulnerable. Maybe those who need those supplies even more than we do. So what does it look like for us to be a people of love in this season of fear? To answer this question, I want to turn to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. This is how it begins. This is verses 25 through 28. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. All right, so a little bit of context, right? In our world, lawyers don't go up to priests and rabbis and saying, hey, you know, in the course of everyday life, like how do I inherit eternal life, right? Lawyers talk to witnesses and they talk to judges. But in Jesus's world, to be a legal expert was to be a Bible scholar, to know the insides and outs of the Old Testament law. And so this lawyer is coming up to Jesus and Jesus is saying he is a rabbi or a teacher and he's trying to say, all right, Jesus, do you know your stuff? So he tosses him a softball, a little slow pitch. How do I inherit eternal life? Now Jesus, in good rabbinic fashion, he sort of flips it back to him and asks him a question. How do you read the law? And what do you think? Now this guy, he's a legal expert. He nails it. He's like, first, quotes from Deuteronomy, right? If you're going to love God, you've got to love him with all of who you are. Your mind, your heart, your soul, your strength, all of it. And the truth is, though, like that's not the end, right? When you love God, it spills over into how you treat your neighbor. He quotes from Leviticus next, right? Again, a home run, awesome lawyer, you rocked it. But remember, the lawyer's whole point was to test Jesus. And Jesus hasn't answered anything. Yet, the text continues, verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, a little first century context, right? First century Judaism, right? The neighbor is primarily understood in terms of being a part of your in-group, right? So your neighbor lives next to you. So then your neighbor's a part of your group, both culturally, religiously, and often ethnically, So this means a couple things. One, your neighbor is not a Roman who is oppressing you. And two, likely your neighbor is not a Samaritan. A little sort of background there, right? Samaritans, the Jews go off into exile. And while they're in exile, this group called the Samaritans, they go and move into the center of Israel. And they start saying that they are actually the true descendants of Abraham. So there's a lot of tension that's happening between Jews and Samaritans. So loving your neighbor is almost certainly, in this lawyer's mind, loving people that are just like him. Now to answer his question, Jesus tells a story. He says, leaning into this question of, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Now again, a little context to the parable. There's a road that goes from Jerusalem all the way down to Jericho. It's 18 miles. Road might be a little generous. It's more like a trail. Right, so there's this trail, it goes through desert, some sort of wild country. It descends about 3,300 feet. And it's on this road, right, that priests would take from Jericho to go up to Jerusalem, 
right? The priests would go up there in order to prepare for their ceremonies, right? Prepare for their religious duties that have walked from Jericho up to Jerusalem. It's in this context that Jesus says in verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and they beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, maybe this guy's on business or maybe he's visiting family, maybe a sick family member and he gets attacked by robbers. He's stripped, he's beaten, he's abandoned. The word for abandoned, I mean, the word for beaten here is where we get the English word for plague in Greek. It's plague, right? He is plagued and he is about to die. Now, it's important to realize right here before we get into the rest of this parable is that Jesus is inviting the lawyer and us to now imagine the rest of the story from the perspective of the ditch that this guy is laying in. Right? It's like, if you want to understand what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself, you actually need to enter in the perspective of the guy on the ditch who's been beaten and abandoned. He is plagued by robbers. I read an article this week written by this woman who has cancer and is on chemotherapy, and she was reflecting about her vulnerability in the shadow of COVID-19. Right? Her immune system is already being wrecked by chemo. She's terrified that the hospitals are going to be overflowed and she is actually not going to get the treatment she needs. Reading the article helped me to imagine what does it look like to love someone in the shadow of COVID-19, not from the healthy chair of a midlife male doing well, but maybe from the hospital bed of someone who is on chemo and struggling with cancer. What does it look like to love her? And it's this perspective that Jesus invites the lawyer to consider as he tells the rest of the parable. Having entered the ditch with this man, now imagine, Jesus says, now by chance, verse 31, now by chance a priest was going down the road. Imagine you're in the ditch, How excited would you be if you see someone coming down the road? A priest. This is like the best candidate for help, right? In the first century, the priest, the descendant of Aaron, this is someone who studied the Torah. Yes, that's who I want coming to my aid. And Jesus says, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So you're in the ditch, On the side of the road, you see this priest who's the best candidate you could imagine. He sees you, maybe even makes eye contact with you. And then he crosses the road. Clearly, the priest in this moment is not able to see life from the perspective of the man in the ditch. Now, there's a lot of scholarly attention focused on why the priest crosses. You know, maybe he's afraid of robbers. And probably is, right? Like this guy is beaten on the side of the road. Likely he is afraid. Possibly, you know, he's going from Jericho to Jerusalem. Maybe he has to be in the temple and he's afraid if he touches a dead or dying body, he's going to get defiled and won't be able to do his religious duties. But the truth is, if we're truly adopting the perspective of the man in the ditch, do you care if you are in the ditch whether or not the priest is afraid? Do you care whether or not he's going to be able to perform his religious duties? No. 
You just want the guy to help. You just want to be loved. So the priest crosses over. Now you're in the ditch and you think maybe probably all is lost. But incredible, right? A Levite appears. Now a Levite is probably the second best candidate you could imagine. Right? The priest is a descendant of Aaron. The Levite basically performs second best, all the second most important duties in the temple. Right? If your number one draft pick is the priest, the Levite is your number two draft pick in first century Israel. But what happens? He sees him and he goes to the other side. Now, at this point in the story, it's really unclear. Where where is Jesus? What's the story this parable going to be about? Is this kind of sort of like an anti-clerical story where he's going to have, you know, the everyday Jewish man is going to come to the rescue? Or is this a story where God intervenes by sending an angel? But again, Jesus said, oh, there's a third traveler, actually. This time it's a Samaritan. Someone that the Jewish people really didn't care for. And yet, he responds, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. All three of these men walking down the road, they see the man in the ditch. But it is only a Samaritan who feels compassion. Likely, they all felt something. Fear, disgust, worry, The Samaritan, though, feels compassion. He's able to see life from the perspective of the man in the ditch. Compassion has, in Greek, the root of the word compassion is the same root of the word intestines. It's sort of getting at this idea of this is a deep gut, visceral response, right? Compassion is what causes us to identify with another person's situation such that we are prepared to act on their behalf, right? Compassion leads to action. And Jesus says in verse 34, he went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Right, this Samaritan, this traveler, he sees He has compassion, and then he acts. Surely he felt fear. Who wouldn't? But he acts. He binds up wounds. In Greek, the word for wound is the same word for trauma, right? That's where we get the word trauma. He binds up his traumas. He puts oil and wine on him. He puts him on his own animal and takes him to an inn. Likely he's a businessman of some sort. He's been to this inn before. He knows the innkeeper and he says, hey, can you watch out for this guy for me? And he gives him two denarii, which basically would cover really basic medical coverage for two weeks. And he says, hey, innkeeper, if you have, you need to do, if you need to do more, don't worry about it. I'll cover it, right? When I'm on my next business trip, I'll come by and I'll make sure that you're covered. Now again, let's imagine this story from the perspective of the man in the ditch. If you see, if you're the man in the ditch, what would you want someone to do? If they saw you, if if they saw you, you'd want them to come near. 
right? And you'd probably want them to address your wounds so you don't just die on the side of the road, but you, you wouldn't also just want to have your traumas addressed. You'd actually want to be taken somewhere where you could get care. And then you wouldn't want to just be left in a hotel room to die, right? You'd want someone to care for you. If you think about it, this is exactly what the Samaritan does. But he doesn't stay around forever personally caring for the guy. He actually leaves the very next day on his business. Even imagine yourself. You're in the lawyer's shoes or you're in the Jewish community's shoes, right? Who in that audience wouldn't want someone, even a Samaritan, to care for them when they are dying on the side of the road in a ditch? Who wouldn't accept help in that desperate situation? So on one level, what the Samaritan does is commendable. But for the, from the perspective of the desperate victim on the side of the road, isn't it just self-evident that the law would demand this kind of neighbor love? So Jesus asked, right, having told this story and respond to the initial question, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? Notice Jesus' word, proved to be. In Greek, the word is, or the verb is to become. Which of these three became a neighbor to the man in the ditch who needed help? Right? He wasn't asking whether they were friends before or whether they liked each other or they're from the same religion or ethnic background. He's saying which of these people, through their actions, became a neighbor that embodied God's love? And the lawyer replies, verse 37, the one who showed him mercy the one who saw and responded, the one who felt compassion, the one who was able to view from, view life, view that moment from the perspective of the man in the ditch. Nolan, in his commentary on the Gospel of Luke, in the word biblical commentary, writes, looking at it from the perspective of the view of the desperately needy, it is the practice of mercy that makes a passerby into a neighbor. Right, so Jesus says, go and do likewise. Right, it's not in, in the end, it's not enough to have the right answer. He says, go. Right, just as all three men were on a trip, they were all going, he now sends the lawyer back into everyday life saying, go, go about your life, do your business. And as you go, when you run into someone in need, do likewise, practice mercy, feel compassion, This is how Jesus talks about neighbor love. Now, I'd like to take a second to consider this story in the light of our context, in the shadow of COVID-19, right? Where many people are afraid. For us, though, rather than crossing the street, people are hoarding supplies when other people might need them. Or they're totally disregarding this idea of social distancing, right? Unconcerned about the more vulnerable members of our society. And in all this, it's so easy to lose sight of the perspective of the person who is vulnerable, the person in the ditch, right? The person fighting battles with cancer right now whose immunity is already weakened. Those who need groceries and medical supplies but don't want to go out that are afraid to go out, those who are stuck inside and lonely, wanting someone to talk to you, those who are losing their jobs right now because of the coronavirus, and they've spent their last paycheck on rent, and they're wondering about how they're going to get groceries. 
Right? What does it look like to become a neighbor, to love our neighbor in a season of fear? I have a friend who works for Ravi Zacharias Ministries and he was invited to both teach on and write uh, an essay on what does it look like to love, to choose love in this season of fear. And he wrote this great essay. He and I chatted about it. And one of the prescriptions he gave at the end was, hey, write a handwritten letter to someone. The interesting thing was he actually got some pushback about it, right? Because it was like someone said, you know, but you didn't give enough detail, right? The virus can live on a piece of paper for nine days. So really what you need to do is wash your hands, uh, clean the pen, make sure every little element, right, is not carrying the virus, right? And that's the trickiness of this season. Even when we have ideas, even when we're trying our best to love other people, right, we need to be careful about how to do that. And so for some of us, I think in that moment, we think, ah, oh, I give up. What can I do? It's easy to just kind of hunker down and stop thinking about others. But the truth is we cannot do this if we are followers of Jesus. Throughout history, the church has been a witness in times of plague. In the second, third, and fifth century, the Romans had these horrible plagues, but the Romans had no ethic of caring for the sick. So they would just take the sick and pile them in the street. And the Christians, what they would do is they would go into the street, risk their own selves in order to care for the sick making no distinction between race or ethnicity or religion. The church's actions were so loving that it was actually during these seasons of plague that the church grew even faster than in seasons of stability. Right, so what does it look like for us to be a creative minority? Not giving in to the fear of our broader culture, but embodying the creative love of Jesus. A couple practices I just kind of want to throw out there that maybe you should consider. The first is this. What would it look like for us to slow down in prayer? Now, you might wonder, like, that sounds kind of odd. Like, why slow down? We're talking about action here, aren't we? Like, do, 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 do all these different things. A number of years ago, Princeton uh, did a study. Two sociologists, social psychologists, there we go, at Princeton did a study with seminary grads. And what they did is they had them, they gathered them together and they said, okay, you group, this group, you study the parable of the Good Samaritan and what you're going to do is you're going to do a presentation on it to a group of people. And they took a second group and they said, hey, you study whatever you want, something on pastoral life or why you want to be a pastor and present it to a group. And then what they did is they mixed up those groups and then they said, okay, you, you have plenty of time, walk to your presentation, don't worry, you have plenty of time. And to the other group, they said, Oh my gosh, hurry, run. You're going to be late to your presentation. You've got to get over there now. And in the midst of the path to their presentation, they had an actor. And the actor was sitting at a door, sort of right in the way of where this person needed to walk to get to their presentation. And the actor was slouched over, clearly in need, eyes closed, clearly really, really struggling. And what they found in the study was this. It made no difference what you studied, whether it was the Good Samaritan or something else. What mattered entirely was how rushed you felt. What they found is that 90% of the people who felt rushed did not stop to help the person in the door that was clearly in need. Only 10% did. Those who had plenty of time, 63% helped 
It's an increase in 53% simply because they weren't rushed. I think if we want to be a people who embody the ethic of Jesus, we have to be a people who have enough margin that are slowed down in the presence of God enough and in prayer, right, that we are willing to stop and help those in need. I think we need to ask God to give us eyes to see from the perspective of the ditch, from the perspective of the person who is most vulnerable in this season, that we might love them. God loves every single human being and he invites us to love with his love. Now, I think there's also a second response that's more active. I think we're invited to respond with love. I think there's three different groups maybe that we can respond to. First, let's respond to those we already know. Right, when you look at the gospel or the book of Acts, what you see is Acts 4.34 says this, there was no needy among them. Why? They met each other's needs in community. The church was caring for and loving on those who were struggling. Let us be that kind of people. Right? It was in those early chapters of Acts that the church was growing. We need to be a people who are caring not just about the guy in the ditch, but also one another's needs. I would invite you to consider if you're married or have a roommate, reaching out to them and saying, hey, how are you doing this week? Can I pray for you? Or making concerted effort to actually have some focused time with your kids because they're probably actually having a harder time than you think. Right, what does it look like? I think, what if all of us adopted three to five people in Wellspring, in this community, that we would reach out to each week to just say, how are you doing? How can I love you? Second, we're not just called to love those that we already know, but also those who live near us. Maybe those we don't know all that well. There should be a link below of a PDF, and it's a little handout. And it's a way, basically a piece of paper that you can put on someone's doorstep saying who you are, where you live, and your phone number. And it has some boxes they can check if if they need someone to pick up groceries for them or if they'd like to talk on the phone, or if you need to send mail for them, or you need urgent supplies needed, or maybe prayer. What if all of us had a couple people just on our block that we put these in front of their doors and just said as a sort of an offering of, I'm here to help. Obviously, taking all the precautions so that we're not spreading the virus. But I think this might say something to the people on our blocks that we care that we want to be a people that are creatively trying to figure out how to love in a time of fear, I would invite you, right, download that PDF, print it out, drop it off somewhere. If you don't have a printer, let us know. We'll drop off some of those copies at your house so that you can hand them out to your neighbors. And third, I think there's some larger ways that we can serve the broader community. I read this week that 3.3 million Americans filed for unemployment just recently. That's huge. Right? This is why we need to actually be figuring out how to provide food. This is what food banks do. But food banks, as I'm reading, are struggling to get volunteers now that people are sheltering in place. What if the church was a people that would volunteer at the food bank to serve those in need, right? that are going to be even more in need now that they've lost their jobs? Right? As a church, iHelp is going to be housed at one location, Right? I help as a ministry that we support. 
They're going to be housed at one location, but they're going to still need food. They're going to still need meals. What would it look like for us to say, all right, we're going to really bless the homeless men and women, homeless men in particular from our church's perspective, right? Because they are the ones that we support on a regular basis. From what I'm reading, right, homeless people are at least doubly more susceptible and vulnerable to coronavirus. What does it look like for us to love them? Lastly, I'd say just in our neighborhood, we have an organization called Meals on Wheels, right, in the senior center. What would it look like for us to volunteer there, right? We're driving and dropping off meals. These are people that already have identified they can't get out of their house and they need help. What if we were the people who said, we're going to serve and help? Now, my hope is, these are just a few ideas. My hope is that the creativity of this body is going to be unleashed in the days and weeks and months to come, where we're finding creative and effective ways to love people who are struggling, that we are not dominated by fear, but we are a people who live in light of Jesus's love. Now, as we turn into worship, we're going to sing one more song together. I just invite you to consider the love of the Father. Consider the love of God that he models for us and invites us to emulate. Would you pray with me? God, would you speak to us as we lean into worship? Would you shape our hearts that they might be shaped like yours? God, may we see life from the perspective of compassion and not fear, of service and not self-reliance. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Meet us, speak to us now.
As we end today, I just want to invite you to put your feet flat on the ground and open up your hands as I say a blessing over you. May you receive this blessing as a blessing from God. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. See you guys soon.